the book of Revelation, to the Apostle John while he was exiled on the island of Patmos. Now, Patmos is this sort of rocky outcrop with salt mines in it, and uh, it's where the Romans sent all their criminals and troublemakers, people that they thought were troublemakers in the Roman Empire. So like political troublemakers. Think, think of someone like Nelson Mandela being sent to Robin Island or the gulags in Russia or something like that. This was the equivalent of that in the Roman Empire. And this is where John was. He was a prisoner there, effectively. He was doing slave labor in these salt mines and working in them. And he was probably fairly old by this time. We don't know for sure, but he was not a young man. And uh, we read last week, and Clive spoke about chapter 4. And at the start of chapter 4, it says this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and a voice saying, come up here. And that's what we spoke about last week. And that word, behold, or look, it doesn't just mean take a look if you feel like it. It's much more of a command. Look, look, God is saying to John, look, there's a door standing open in heaven, an open door into heaven right next to where he was on earth. And that's the thing. Heaven is not up in the clouds. There's a cloud on that picture. But heaven is not up in the clouds. It's a very popular thing, I think. If you asked small children, maybe, or even people, if you went out on the streets, you could try it this week if you like, and you said, where do you think heaven is? Most people would kind of look upward or look to the clouds or something like that. But heaven is actually right next to you if you look with the right eyes. And God is saying to John, look with the right eyes. Look through this open door and come up to where I am. Heaven is a spiritual reality that you can't see with your natural eyes. And this was real in John's day, this open door, and it's real for you now, today, and tomorrow. Ephesians 2 tells us we're seated in heavenly places with Jesus. We're seated with him. Now, John saw all of this tremendous vision, even though his own circumstances were far from ideal. He didn't get transported off this rocky island and taken out of prison. He didn't get sent somewhere else to see this vision. He didn't get rescued, if you like. He was in very difficult circumstances. And yet he saw this tremendous vision. And you know, it's one thing to see things from God's viewpoint and God's perspective when things are going well in our lives. But actually, John saw this vision of heaven and responded to it even in the middle of very difficult circumstances. And that's a promise for us too. We can do that too. You can look into heaven whatever your circumstances, wherever you are, whatever day of the week it is. It doesn't have to be Sunday. It doesn't have to be here in church. You can see things from God's viewpoint and God's perspective. How was John able to see this tremendous vision even though he was in such difficult circumstances? Well, it's because this is all about God. When we worship, it's about God. It's not about us. It's not about our circumstances. It's about God and who he is and that he's the worthy one seated on the throne. Now, let's take a little lesson here for a minute. I'm going to just, you know, we, we won't do some of this sermon here for a moment. We'll do a little lesson. If you only worship when you feel like it, 
how much will you worship? What, what's the answer? Much less, much less than you would perhaps like to. If you only worship God when you feel like it, you won't worship as much as you would really probably like to if I asked you. We don't worship because we feel like it. We worship because he's on the throne and he is the Lord and he is the king. And that's really, really important. You don't sing on a Sunday morning because you feel like it. Maybe you do. But you, that's not why you sing. You sing because he's worthy, because he's on the throne. You don't lift up your hands on a Sunday morning because you feel like it. Why do you lift your hands up on a Sunday morning? Because he's worthy and he's the Lord. And he says, lift up holy hands to me. And actually, he's made your hands holy. He's made your hands clean. He's made you worthy. And that's why we lift our holy hands before him. Not because of anything we've done. It's because we're saying, you're the Lord. It's like a surrender. I'm surrendering to him. Now, um, just stand up for a minute, everybody. Have a little practice. Put your hands up in the air. What does that feel like? Does it feel like you're kind of saying, God, I'm reaching out to you and I'm surrendering to you and I'm going to praise your name? Okay, you can sit down. And if you don't normally put your hands up on a Sunday morning, that, then you've just done it for the first time. Well done. But it's like, <laughs> it's like a way of, of coming before the Lord and honoring his name. And when we come together on Sundays, we said last week, we come to join in with the worship service that's already going on in heaven. And so I want to encourage us, prepare yourself for that. Posture yourself for that. Put yourself in the right place to come in and join in on a Sunday morning with the worship. Now, we worship all the, we can worship all the time. But on a Sunday, when we celebrate together in a meeting, there's a little demon that comes out on Sundays, and it's called the meeting demon. And um, the meeting demon comes to your house just before you're about to come to church, and he tries to cause trouble. And he'll do whatever he can to cause mischief. And if you've got a baby, that baby will fill its nappy just as you're coming out the door. And it will go, not be one of the usual nappy fillers. It'll go right up its back and everywhere. So you've got to sort of virtually bath the whole house. And that always happens as you're leaving for church on a Sunday, is it? Yes. <laughs> Wasn't just our family. Or you have this, you know, you wake up feeling all sweet towards your sweetheart. And you have this terrible row about nothing that you just can't imagine where it came from out of nowhere. And it's that little meeting demon. Or someone phones up. or All sorts of things happen on a Sunday morning to stop you coming in that door feeling ready for worship. Um, it's, am, I, am I the only one? Please put your hand up and say, I'm not the only one that that happens to me on a Sunday morning. It's real. Things come along to stop you feeling like worshiping when you walk in that, that door. And so I want to encourage you, try and spot that. And don't let it happen. Sometimes we say to each other, oh, we better stop this conversation right now on a Sunday morning because it's going nowhere and we don't want to fall out before we're going to come in the meeting on a Sunday morning. You wouldn't ever think, of course, the pastors could fall out before they came to church on a Sunday morning, would you? <laughs> and we try not to. We really try to say we're not going to have this conversation now. We're going to just say we're okay. And if we need to talk about it, we'll talk about it this afternoon. And you can't stop a baby. That one's tricky. <laughs> That is tricky. But do what you can to put yourself in the best place to come in that door and worship and join in on a Sunday morning. Here's the thing. When you come into church on a Sunday morning, 
in what way can you get involved with the meeting? Let me have some suggestions. I don't really want to jump down off here too much, but um, who, who, say hello to people. We can all do that. We could pray. You could pray. Some people, you can pray where you're sitting or you can pray out. Now, not everyone can pray out on Sunday morning or we would probably be here a very long time if we all prayed out one by one. So we can't all do that one. Put the chairs out. Well, that sort of happens before we get here. Can you all preach on a Sunday morning? Well, not all at once you can't. You're stuck with me today. <laughs> You're only going to get me here. Worship. The only thing we can all do is worship. We can't all pray out every week. We can't all preach every week. We can't all be in the band every week. Whatever it is, we can't all take the offering every week. Or we can take the offering from you all every week, but we can't all take it. But you can all worship. It's the one thing when we come together, every one of us, can participate in and feel part of the celebration that's going on in heaven as we get here together. So guard yourself on a Sunday morning before you walk in the door because all sorts of things will try and stop you from feeling like joining in that meeting. And so sometimes, um, it depends who's with me in the car or who's sort of around, I'll speak in tongues all the way down the road on the way to the meeting or I'll sing a worship chorus or I put some music on in the house before I come or I read a psalm or I do something that will help me guard my heart and be in a good place to really give my best to God on a Sunday meeting. And when you get here, it does help if you put yourself in the right place and even if you don't feel like it, if you stand up and you lift your hands to God because that's what he asks us to do, you an amazing thing will happen and you will start to feel like it. Even if you didn't before, God will come and meet you as you reach out to him. And it will change the way that you feel as you start to give him worship, whether you feel like it or not, because he's the one that's on the throne and he's the Lord. Can I just have an amen for that? Amen. Thank you. And let me ask you another question before I go back to my proper notes. Supposing I said to you, this is the last Sunday morning you are ever going to have in this building together as a church or the last worship service you're ever going to come to on this earth. The, worth, the earth is ending tomorrow. This is your last worship service. How would you have worshipped this morning? Pardon? With everything. You would be so enthusiastic to be in God's presence if you thought this was your last day on earth. You would be so motivated to give him your very best and really surrender to him and, and uh, do all you could to give 100% to God. And, you know, sometimes I think to myself, this is just the little secret things that go inside my head I'm telling you about here, so, you know, um, it may sound a bit weird. But sometimes I think to myself, right, that's how I'm going to be. I'm going to think, what if this was my last worship service and I'm going to give my all, whether I feel like it or not. So you can um, think of that going through my head on Sunday mornings now as well. But whatever it is, to posture ourselves in that place to really give God what he's uh, worth and what he's worthy of is a, is a precious thing. And we want to encourage you to do that because when you do that, he meets with you and he changes you and he comes and he's with you. So don't wait until you feel like it. Amen? Amen. The blessing is that when you come into his presence and as you worship, then you feel strengthened and encouraged and motivated and something changes. It's a precious thing. As you come up higher, the view changes. I'll say that again. As you come up higher, the view 
changes. I don't know if you've ever been on the top of a really tall building anywhere in the world. There's several of them around. Um, and we once uh, managed to have a stop-off for two days in New York. And we were on the Empire State. We went up the Empire State Building. Has anyone ever been up the Empire State Building? Well, it was kind of one of those things that we were blessed to be able to do. And we were only there for two days, so we were trying to pack everything in. And we ended up going there half, it was about 11 o'clock at night, wasn't it? I think it shut at midnight. And actually, it's a good tip to go there because there's no queues. And if you go earlier in the day, there are terrible queues. And we kept walking past all these markers that said, if you are standing here, it will be two hours. If you are standing here, it will be three hours, you know. But there were no queues at all. We went straight up the Empire State Building. And when we got to the top, it was dark, it was at night. And we looked down on New York, and it was just amazing. It was very beautiful, but all the cars looked like little ants. And all the lights looked like little ants. And the noise of the city had just kind of faded away. And it was quite romantic because it began to snow. It was January, and it began to snow on us. But you could just hear the wind around your head, and you couldn't really hear the traffic noise, and everything looked really tiny down below us. And it's a bit like that when you come up into God's presence in worship. All the things that seem so troublesome and so big and such a, a difficulty for us, they get smaller, and the noise gets less. They don't make so much noise. And what you do hear is the wind of the Holy Spirit as you come into God's presence speaking to you and encouraging you. You get a different view. So as you come up higher, the view changes. And Jesus is saying to us, come up here. Come up higher. What John sees in this vision is the true reality of what really is happening. So let's read Revelation 5, which is what we're going to look at today. And it's going to come up on the screens for us. I'll read it out. I'm I'm reading from the New King James. And it says this, And I saw, that's John, in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, don't weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed or conquered to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked And behold, in the middle of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the middle of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain or slaughtered. Having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You're worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God. 
and we shall reign on the earth. And then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times, 10,000 and thousands of thousands, that's a lot, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature, every creature, every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the seas and all that are in them, I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. Amen. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this tremendous vision of what's going on in heaven right now, Lord. We thank you that heaven is closer to us than we could imagine, Lord. We pray you would open our eyes to see the spiritual realities around us, Lord. We don't want to be earthbound and only see with our natural eyes, Lord. We want to see something in our hearts, the true reality of how it really is, Lord. And I pray this morning we would lift our gaze and look at Jesus, the one who does live forever and ever, the one who's conquered and overcome and taken that scroll. Lord, we thank you that you paid the price for each one of us to be able to come in your presence this morning. And we bless you. Touch our hearts today, I pray. Give us a fresh revelation of what it is to know you, to love you, and to worship you. Amen. So keep your spiritual glasses on today as well, because the Bible wants us to see this alternative situation, what's really happening, the true reality. And if you see heaven properly, it changes how you see this world. If you see heaven properly, it will change how you see this world and how you live your life on this world. And last week, we saw this great big picture of everything happening. And this week, we're zooming into a little bit of the picture. Um, So we had this big overview last week, and now it's like we've got a close-up focus. Last week, we saw all the elders and the living creatures and the glassy sea. I used to sing that at school. Did anyone else sing that hymn? about the glassy sea, around the glassy sea, that one, so yeah, and I, it, was, it always caught my imagination, but I never really knew where it came from or what it meant, so um, there you go, but anyway, this week, we're going to zoom on in to chapter five, and John says this, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back and sealed with seven seals, the scroll that he sees is full up, It's completely covered in writing. Inside, on the back, on the front, it's covered and it's sealed. It's got seven seals on it, a bit like a will would have. And seven is the number of completeness in the Bible. So this scroll is complete. It's full. And it's sealed so that nobody can tamper with it. And on it is God's plan for this world. That's what's written on it. God's plan for this earth. It tells of how he's going to bring the kingdom of heaven to this earth. It's like the blueprint, if you like, the map of maps, um, how God is going to put everything right. It's the meaning of everything. So it's a pretty important scroll and what's written on it. Now, listen, there is a plan. 
I'm going to say that again, there is a plan. Whatever chaos this earth looks like, whatever messes we humans make of it, whatever chaos demons wreak upon it, there is a plan. And it's God's plan, and he is holding it in his hand. That is good news. Is that good news? Come on, do a bit better than that. It's worth a clap. There is a plan. Say to the person next to you, there is a plan. And God holds it in his hand. And as John is watching, the angel cries out in a loud voice because he wants everyone to hear. He wants to include everybody who could possibly have the answer. He shouts out, who is worthy to open this scroll? We want to see what's in it. We want to see what's on it. We don't want to be left just looking at it wistfully. But nobody in heaven, on the earth, under the earth, anywhere, no one was found worthy to open this scroll. Nobody could be found. And John weeps. He's seen this tremendous picture. He's looking into heaven. He's seen the blueprints for all of humanity, and no one can open it. He is so distressed that he weeps. He's gutted, if you like. I don't know if you've ever had that experience where um, something you really thought was going to come your way didn't. Um, There was a couple a few years ago, and they thought they had won a lot of money on the lottery. It was three million pounds. I don't know if you remember this story. Their names were Martin and Kay, not in our church. And... uh, but they thought they had won the lottery, and they, they hadn't checked their tickets until, sev- until it had come up as sort of a, you know, these, this number has not been claimed several months later. And when they saw it, they realized that it was the number they always put on the lottery. I'm not, con- I'm not um, suggesting that you put your well-earned money onto the lottery, but that's what these people did. And they, uh, they always put the same number on every single week, and this was their number that the they had not claimed, and they couldn't find the ticket. And it was a combination of their birthdays, and they, they got married and all of this, and, they'd, and it, was, it was put in the same shop where they always put their ticket in, and it was kind of all, everything lined up. They couldn't find the ticket. And apparently, if you lose your ticket, you, you have to have said so within a certain time. I don't know about these things, but you have to have, if you go over a certain time and you've lost your ticket, it's tough cookies, everybody. And so even though they had all this evidence that it was them that had bought this ticket, they were not allowed to break the rules and give them the money. Can you imagine how they felt? (laughs) One minute they think they have three million pounds and the next minute they've got to go back to work on Monday. There you go. But it's a you know, John, one minute, he thinks he's going to see the answer to everything, the meaning of the universe, God's wonderful plan for all of his creation, and then no one can open it, and he can't see what's inside of it. Nobody was worthy. And listen, we think we're very clever, and we are quite clever. We can send people to the moon. We can make amazing little bits and go into tiny computers and do all sorts of amazing amazing things. We can make babies in test tubes. We can do all, we can split the atom. You know, we are quite clever, but still, no one can open this scroll. However clever we think we are, none of us can open this scroll. And what's on this scroll is what really counts. If we can't open it, we're sunk. If we can't see it, we're stuffed. Then one of the elders turns around and says to John, don't weep. 
Stop crying. Behold, or that look again. You must look. You've got to look. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed or overcome to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And that, that reference to the lion of the tribe of Judah comes from the book of Genesis. And you know, you'll know in Isaiah, um, it speaks about the root of Jesse, the coming Messiah. So when John hears this, he's, he knows this elder speaking about Jesus. When he hears that, that phrase, the root of Jesse and the line of Judah, he knows that the elder is speaking about Jesus. He is worthy. He's the lion. So John looks. And what he sees is the kind of key bit of this whole chapter, if you like. And this is what he says. Well, actually, have you ever, um, before I read the verse, in the key verse in this passage, have you ever expected to see something and then it wasn't what you were expecting it was totally different to what you thought I don't know if you have I'm, I'm trying to think I, we, we once went to um we were in Paris and we went to one of these art museums and we went and saw the Mona Lisa and I was really shocked I, I thought this famous painting would be huge on this wall and kind of you know really massive it's tiny it's really little isn't it and I, I actually I thought what's all the fuss about but anyway that um Everyone was ooing and ahhing, so I oohed and ahhed along with the best of them at this, <laughs> at this painting. But it was much smaller than I expected, and sometimes things don't look as we expect. And John turns around, and he, he looks, and he says this, Behold, in the middle of the throne and the four living creatures, and in the middle of the elders stood a lamb, as though it had been slain or slaughtered. So the elder has said to him, look, the lion of Judah. And he turns around and there's this little lamb stood there as if it had been slaughtered. And the word there actually means little lamb. It doesn't mean like a grown-up sheep. It actually speaks of a little lamb. Jesus made himself defenseless and vulnerable for you and me. He became that little lamb and was slaughtered for you and me. And he's in the middle of it all. He's in the middle of the throne. We're not in the middle of this picture. Jesus is. Here's something else. Um, just, just to sort of disillusion you in case you need it. God is not here to do what you want. God isn't here for you to send up little quick prayers every now and then to get him to do what you want. You're here to do what he wants. It's that way around. And of course he answers prayers. And of course he listens to you. And he loves it when you come before him and you ask him things. But essentially, you've got to get it the right way around. You, he is not here to please you. You are here to please him. He is the one in the middle of this picture. He's in the middle on the throne. But he's standing there as a little lamb. And it tells us in the passage as well about the horns and the eyes. It all sounds a bit sort of odd. But actually, that's just telling us that this lamb is strong and powerful. The horns speak of the, of the lamb being strong and powerful. And the eyes tell us that he's full of wisdom. It's just a, a pictorial way of telling us that about Jesus. But he's conquered and overcome by sacrificing himself for all humanity. None of us could come close to God if Jesus hadn't been prepared to be a little lamb and be 
uh, slaughtered and to die on the cross for us. And he is the only one worthy to open this scroll. The only one qualified to touch it and open it. And it tells us in verse 7, then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. He took the plans for all of us, for all this world, for all of creation, and he was able to open it and for it to be fulfilled. That is a tremendous thing. You've gone ever so quiet on me, but actually it is quite a tender thing to think about, isn't it? That Jesus, Lord of heaven and Lord of earth, became like that little lamb and sacrificed himself so that he would be able to open up the plan for all of us and make a way for us to know the Father and come into his presence. So that is really special. And then the rest of the passage tells us about the most amazing worship service that there ever was that's still going on. And that's what we join in with when we come together here on a Sunday morning. And we read it earlier. They all fall down. The the living creatures, the elders, they fall before the Lamb with their harps and the prayers of the saints in golden bowls full of incense. I, I love that. Harps speak of worship. They've got harps. I can't play a harp at all. But harps speak of worship, and we can all worship. And I I love this picture of the bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And sometimes when I pray, I imagine my prayers going into this big bowl in heaven. And you know, when that bowl gets full, it gets tipped out. And you will see God's hand act on your behalf. So keep praying. Every time you pray, you're adding to the incense in that bowl. And you don't know when God's going to tip it out. You don't know if it's just about full and it's coming the answer's coming to you straight away or if you are going to pray some more before you see that bowl tipped out someone once said if you don't p- persist in prayer god doesn't know you're serious if you only ask once he might think it's just a whim of yours but if you persist he knows you're serious keep asking him keep adding your prayers to that bowl of incense and see what god will do i think that's a really lovely picture but then they sang a new song you're worthy You were the one that was slain. You've redeemed us. And everybody else joins in. All the other, first of all, it starts with the elders and the living creatures and then the angels. And then it says everybody on earth and under the earth and everybody. Nobody is left out. Everyone else joins in as well and falls down and worships. And when we worship, this is what we're doing. It's an age-old worship service, but there's always a new song. It's different every time we come together. The worship service has been going on for a very long time, but every time you worship on your own at home or we worship together in the service, there's a new song to sing and to catch in the spirit. Worship is creative. It doesn't have to be the same every week. Sometimes it'll be loud. Sometimes it'll be quiet. Sometimes we might dance, especially if John's here. (laughs) And uh, sometimes we might clap. Sometimes we might raise our hands, whatever it is. But worship is creative. It's not always the same. And worship has content. When you read this passage, they don't just go hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. They tell God why they're praising him. You're the worthy one. You were the one that was slain. You've redeemed us. You've made us reign and so on. There's content to what they say. And if you ever don't know, if you think, well, I would love to worship more and you don't really know what to say, Read out some of the Psalms to God. Read out some of these scriptural passages where people are worshipping and say them to God yourself and the content will minister to you and bless you. 
And the worship kind of gathers pace, if you like. It builds. More people come and get added in this passage to the worship service. And worship, when we're together on a Sunday, is like that too. It builds. It's kind of, we used to, when our kids were little, we used to sort of try and teach them. Um, we, we would have them sort of sitting by us, and when the worship was going on, we'd, I'd sometimes say to them, and I can especially remember doing it with Richard, what, what do you think we should sing next that will take us further on into the presence of God here? Because, you know, you know sometimes you, you don't want a really, really loud song after a really quiet song or whatever it is. But you can get a sense of what perhaps the Spirit of God is saying among us on a Sunday. And I used to ask him, um, you know, what, what do you think we should sing next, Richard? And now he's leading worship um, all the time in his church in America. And you'll know they've released um, a CD this year as well. And he, but he learned to worship by sitting in the meeting and tuning in to what the Spirit was saying and feeling which way the meeting was going. And worship builds. It built here in this passage. It's, it's creative, it's got content, and it builds. So log those things in your mind. Here's the thing. We're worshiping Jesus. Jesus is the one who was slaughtered and suffered. And it tells us in Isaiah, uh, it's chapter 53, he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And if you suffer in this world, you're not alone. He suffered too. And he tells us we will have trouble in this world. There will be tribulation in this world, but we can still worship. Because like I said at the beginning, it doesn't depend on our circumstances. He's here. He's on the throne. He's at the center of things, and we can worship him. But he does understand he does understand, and you are not alone. He's always got those nail prints in his hands and feet. They haven't vanished just because he's in heaven. I once had this experience, and um, I'm not sure I've ever told anyone this, actually. Um, but I was in a ladies' meeting. It was a conference. Um, it was in another country, and it was a group of women. And we, it, um, there was a time of worship. And during the time of worship, I was sort of putting myself in a place to get into God's presence. And I was, I think I was kneeling down, actually. And I was imagining that Jesus was in front of me. But as I imagined it in my mind's eyes, I sort of saw him almost like a, a priest would be, with his back to me in very glorious clothing, you know, like a long embroidered robe and, and so on. And I was looking at this and thinking um, how lovely it was that Jesus was our priest and so on. And I felt this sort of little voice inside say, look again bit like this behold I guess look again and so I sort of looked with my spiritual eyes I suppose I don't know if it was a you know a, a literal vision or not but I opened my eyes in my inside my heart and I saw instead of this Jesus with his back to me in this beautiful robe I saw I was kneeling so I saw just his feet in front of me and he was barefooted with those nail wounds through his feet facing me turned toward me and it was I, I wept it was, I'm going to cry now. But it was just a very powerful thing. But that's how he is. His hands and feet have always got those nail prints in them for you. Every time you come to him, that's who you're coming to. He paid the price so that you can come. And let's not stay outside of that when he's paid such a price for every one of you in this room so that you can be made right with God and come through that door and come into his presence. Don't stay back. 
Because he's paid that ultimate price for you. He's the lamb. And we're worshipping him who made it possible for us to come close and safely. You're not going to be gobbled up or burnt up when you come into God's presence because he has uh, made a way for you to come and receive his mercy and forgiveness. The seeming weakness of a little vulnerable lamb, which might seem foolish to people, is the power of God. It's the power of God. And we're worshipping Jesus, who has already won the victory. He's already won the victory. He's on the throne. And we might be fighting some battles on this earth, and we might have challenges here and some things that we, we need to overcome and so on. But he's already won. We're fighting to take the ground that he's already paid for. He has already won. He paid with his own blood. And when verse 5 tells us he triumphed, he's triumphed over everything. He hasn't left anything out. And so the things that we fight for here, we're just laying claim to rest off the enemy, the things that he's already paid the price for and that he's already triumphed over. And we're worshipping this Jesus who was the one that could open the scroll, the one who was worthy to open that plan. And there is a plan. There is a plan. This is all going one way. Did you know that? Whatever circumstances you face, whatever situations you're in in life, he is on the throne, and this is only going one way, and it's going to be God's way. He is going to have his way. He is going to have that plan work its way out in humanity, and nothing is going to stop that. Whatever little bumps there are in the road, he has a plan. And we know, people used to say this, we know the end of the book. We kind of know the end of the story. John didn't even know. Some, you know, some of the New Testament writers didn't know how this pans out, but we know that our God triumphs. We know that he's on the throne, and we know that one day we will be with him for eternity, and we know he's going to make everything new and everything different, and we know how it ends. And like I said at the beginning, if, if you really see what's going on in heaven, it changes the way that you live on earth. One day, every knee is going to have to bow. It tells us in the Bible, every knee will bow. But today, you get to choose. You get to choose to bow the knee. You get to choose a lifestyle of making Jesus Lord in your life, not just this morning, but tomorrow morning and the next morning and the next day. You get to choose. Choose well. Choose the right thing. Choose to bow the knee. Choose to put yourself in the right place to look through that open door into heaven. See what's really going on. Get God's perspective on things. And be a worshipper. Be someone who worships. Not just on a Sunday. Although that's a really special thing to be able to do. But be someone who worships. Because he's worthy. He's on the throne. He has the plan. Amen.